Good morning, everyone. Yes. Yeah, uh, we are looking at the spiritual discipline so far, and then I know it has been a few weeks. So, first of all, uh, have I turned this on? Okay, first of all, I'd like to ask you about what do you think about spiritual discipline? What, what is spiritual discipline? What are the spiritual disciplines? You can think about it. Have a good eye contact. Okay, so are you asking me better? <laughs> okay, spiritual disciplines are habits or practices or exercises to develop our spiritual being or inner being or I would say souls. I think it was a good illustration when we had our first week. I think John, he just shared that he joined the marathon. So this is marathon is, you know, long journey to build our muscles and we need to adapt it. And then we can't finish the marathon at the first one. I think no one would ever be able to do that. So once you get trained into it, once you start doing it, I think that people will be able to finish the marathon. And then me personally, I never liked running, but I enjoyed running last year as we are all in lockdown. And then it was about 300 meters for us because I got quite a you know, wait by then, but there was no choice. I need to exercise. It was a 300 first, meter first, and then he went about 500, and then later on, I went about five, six kilos. And then I, the first time I thought, wow, running is such a good fun, seriously, and then I never imagined that. I loved swimming, but never, I never ran the marathon or whatever. Running was not my preference at all. So one of the biggest wish I had is to run again because I got my knee injured because of the running all of a sudden. So I think that's how we can build up our muscles for something, you know, for long. Then what does it mean for spiritual disciplines? I think it's still building up the muscles. For what then? It's building up the muscles. So. I think many people might have a different kind of expectations. When we say spiritual discipline, it might assume that this is something to develop our spiritual being or develop our spiritual gift or spiritual abilities to prophesy or speak in tongues and miracles. But we, we are sure that, that that's not what we are talking about. It's mainly this is about how to develop our inner beings, souls, and then eventually, inner being souls, I would say, for me, is develop, developing our characters in the end. So throughout the, many, you know, throughout the centuries, many people, even theologians or religious leaders, they really develop you know, some kind of disciplinary elements. So that what, what can help us to build our muscles, to really strengthen our muscles of our souls? I think that's a question. Oh, so it's just their own. So uh, I'm just giving you a brief list because when I see this list, and then it's helping me about what, what can I apply to my life. And then, of course, we went through medication, meditation, prayer, fasting, uh, submission. I think you're going to do it tomorrow. Uh, study even, confession to God, to one another, or solitude. This is what we're going to talk about today. And silence. Silence and solitude, as you guess, it always goes together in hand. And celebration 
And at the same time, fellowship. Fellowship means it's mutual, interact, interrelational. It's not only personal. When we say when we say spiritual discipline, it's not only personal or individual, but sometimes corporate or interrelational, like fellowship. And journaling, this is a very helpful. For me, the one of the best ways is to do the journal. And chastity, stewardship, evangelism, contemplation, gratitude, and self-examination. I think they, might, they can be quite a big part of you know, uh, uh, self-discipline uh, for most of us. Okay, so, so far, uh, at the NCF, I think we are focusing on mainly eight things uh, when, we, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, main eight things. So medi- meditation, prayers, fasting, setting, simplicity, that's what we have come, and then solitude is what we're going to talk, and then later on, uh, you know, we do have some more weeks to come. And then, as I said, when we are talking about spiritual disciplines, some things are very personal, some of them are interpersonal, some of them are inward. I think that's what it says on the website. According to Richard Foster, I think the author that you are reading through, Medi- for instance, meditation is very internal, but simplicity is more kind of behavior or whatever, and then it's outward, or worship or confession to one another is very corporate. So when we see spiritual discipline is individual or corporate elements in it. Both are fine. Both are necessary. Then today's topic is solitude. Then what is solitude? What is solitude? Is definitely this is isolation or maybe uh, seclusion might be the synonym. So it's very similar to the meaning of solitude. Solitude, literally it means being alone. Being alone. So you'll be alone. And then that's a solitude. But it doesn't mean just being alone time-wise. Being alone from non-timeless elements, something like distractions. So you are alone or away from distractions. Then I would like to ask, I asked this question when I was preparing this. What other distractions do you have in your daily lives? What is the biggest distractions? Uh, you can just have a little thought about it. What other distractions do you have? Oh, if you're on a show or media. Yeah, I think commonly for everyone, <laughs> young and old these days. Yeah. Distraction. So if solitude is be away from distraction, what kind of distractions you, do you want to avoid? I think that's, that's one of the first questions we face when we're thinking about solitude. So I think media is one of the greatest things. And then, of course, work, your work, and housework even. Even sometimes relationships, sometimes strifes, tensions. And what about worries and anxieties? What about your internal emotional struggles you have? Then what about even the church work or ministries? I think anything that is occupying ourselves too much, I think that can be distraction. 
And then I can honestly say that one point, because of the work, work, a ministry, you got so distracted. And it's hard to focus even on one thing or even meditations. So I think that's the challenge. In modern days, we have a lot more challenge to you know, be away from distraction. distraction. So I think, I wish you could think about what are the main distractions you are facing on your daily life when you want to be alone, right? So being alone can be quite harmful. I, when I, I became Christian when I was 30, so before I became a Christian, I thought my life is, I thought I need to train myself to live alone, seriously. And then I set a time a year to, to really to avoid any relationships on purpose. And, but I was very introverted. I'm still very introverted. I'm very happy with my one space in my time. I always enjoy that. But my conclusion after one year is, oh, men are so sociable. So people are not to be alone. It's almost impossible. That was my conclusion. And then I started to hang out with other people. I think Yunju was one of them. So people are made to be sociable. God created the relationships, so we are living in relationships. So the research says that long-term solitude, it can be quite damaging even physical body. Of course, when person, when people have a long-term isolation, it affects their, you know, it can cause loneliness, they can actually cause depression, and then there are a lot more kind of, you know, uh, uh, high figures of you know mental illness or if, even physical pain. Are you with me? So isolation it can be harmful, but at the same time, research says isolation can be very therapeutic, and then it can be a healing process, especially when people are going through the traumatic time or turbulences. Isolation can be very helpful, and then this I just kind of. I want to read out this quote for you. And then this is one of the psychologists, his research. He says, when people take these moments to explore their solitude, not only will they be forced to confront who they are, they just might learn a little bit about how to outmaneuver some of the toxicity, toxicity that surrounds them in a social setting. So when actually people are alone, I think there is something happened. They can, we can do something in this time alone. So uh, main thing is, what is the significance? What is the significance of uh, being alone? As a Christian, I would say. As a Christian, when you are alone, away from distraction, and, they, and you have enough time and space, what do, we, what do you want to focus? Being alone doesn't mean that you will become completely alone. But I'm coming from East. I think most of the Eastern religions, they have a high value on these solitudes. Like Hinduism and Buddhism, of course, Buddhist temple is always in the countryside. If you want to be a Buddhist nun, you need to, have a, you need to really have a life of a solitude for the rest of your life because they really know the values of it. And even Buddhist people, they try to train to empty their minds and thoughts. But I personally believe it's impossible to empty the minds and thoughts because we are full of thoughts already and then it's hard to do it. That's why they train so hard to empty their thoughts. So if it's too hard for us to empty our thoughts, what, what would you do? What do I need to do 
in my time alone. I think as a Christian, the first thing is engaging with God. When we engage with God, we are engaging with his creation. I think that's us. We are created. When we are engaging with God and us, we think about surroundings, including incidents or circumstances or even people around. So I think that's the power of being solitude, uh, having solitude, because it can give us a little new, fresh perspective away from, you know, it's just like, how can I blindfold myself so that I can see through some with a different perspectives? Does it make sense? I think that's the significance. When you want to build a house, I'm not a professional builder, so I might be wrong, but when you want to build a house, one of the most important thing for the first step is to lay the foundation. I think foundation or foundation stones in some of the area, they are to lay the foundation so that all the other materials can build on, be built on, and that when it times of uh, when it's time of a storm and you know hurricane, the house is stable and you know stands strong on this solid rock. Imagine that uh, as the the Bible says, when the house is built on sands. We all know that's going to collapse when the weather is not good. <clears throat> so I think when I was really kind of thinking about it and searching for the solitude, the solitude is something like laying the foundations. So I would like to say this is an analogy that foundation of the house is just like solitude, and all the rest of other spiritual elements like meditation, prayer, Fasting, studying, simplicity, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance can be part of solitude or other result of solitude, I would say. So let's say meditation. You have a meditation. I know some people are very multitask and then they are multifunctional. And then, for example, we see three, three people here, we're sitting and then we're chatting and we're discussing and praying. And then at the same time, I'm meditating. Is that possible, you think? I think it's almost impossible. For meditation, you need to set a time, you need to set a space, uh, whether that is a physical space or your space in your heart, you have a little room for you to be alone. I think prayer, of course, there is a corporate prayer, but individual prayer as well. And fasting, of course, you can fast, you know, by doing any, everything, but solitude can accelerate these things to happen. And studying as well. So when, when I just kind of look through these things, mo- most of the self-disciplines can rely on the solitude. If so, solitude can be a quite fundamental element for spiritual disciplines. I think that's why I would say most of the religions, they have a high emphasis on solitude. It doesn't mean that they want us to separate the world. Like Buddhism, of course, they always want uh, the believers to separate from the world. We as a Christians, we want to be separated. It doesn't mean that we need to, you know, uh, designate or commit whole chunk of life for only solitude. But solitude is quite a big element for foundation, for self-spiritual uh, discipline. 
I think that's why the monastery, uh, you know, in the Christian history, was around, you know, worship and uh, meditation and prayer, whole dedication on this kind of spiritual activities based on solitude. As I said, Buddhist temple, because I know I'm coming from that background, and the Buddhism has a high, high focus on solitude and Hinduism as well. So actually, we, we can think about few people in the Bible who had a regular or solitude on a daily basis. In the ancient time, Old, old, Testament, old Testament time, uh, can you think about anyone who had a very good solitude on a daily basis? There are quite many. But I'll say, what about Moses? Uh, he went into the tabernacle day by day. Am I right? And also he disappeared from the congregation when the congregation Israelites were in a, one of the most crucial time in their history because they were moving forward to the promised land. But Moses, in the midst of a huge task and the business, he disappeared. Or, or I don't want to say he disappeared, but he went to God, went into God's presence. It was sometimes on Sinai Mountain, 40 days. But what about Jesus? We read, uh, I think, thank you, Colin, for reading these scriptures. But it's quite interesting. Whenever Jesus withdrew from the crowd, it's almost after the miracle or after great ministry. So Luke 5 and then Luke 6, as Colin says, Luke 5 is when Jesus healed the leprosy, he disappeared. He withdrew from the crowd. Uh, I think we just find these patterns quite a lot in the New Testament Gospels, that Jesus, he withdrew himself in a desolate place. Sometimes he said that he, he went to the desolate place and he prayed. So it's quite interesting. When I, when I was actually thinking about Jesus and Moses, there's quite common things between them. So, for example, Moses was in a time that the whole nation was in a huge transition, heading for the promised land. It was a huge task. Moses has a quite heavy burdens on his shoulders. And then what about Jesus? It was exactly the same. Jesus, his task is leading people into kingdom again. So both of them, they have a quite heavy burdens on their shoulders. And in the midst of a busy, busy business, they withdrew themselves. And then they had a quiet time. I wouldn't say quiet time. They, they want to be alone alone for rest or to away from this business, uh, we, we and I, we, we know that that's not the, you know, the main purpose, that they went into God's presence. So I could really see how important it was for them to have this time alone, away from the task, away from the business, and then to engage with God and himself and then they will fully function, they could uh, fully function as a leader, I think, because of that. And then uh, there are a few other interesting uh, people. Apostle Paul, you know, he was a great scholar, but actually the Galatians 1.17 said he went away to Arabia. But that's almost after his conversion. So it's a very interesting because we don't find anything about few years of Paul's life. He converted, he became Christian, and then he ran away to Arabia. I think it was natural. There was no other options for him because all the Jews become 
opponent's enemies, and they're looking for Paul to persecute or execute him, and he ran away. But his runaway time has become a huge foundation for his future ministry. Think about, you know, Messiah, Gospels. I think these few years has been a foundation for him to lay his doctrines. And because of his doctrines, solid doctrines, we have all New Testament doctrines, you know, given to us. Uh, I graduated university in Korea, and then that, this university is part of Jesuit, you know, Society of Jesus. Have you heard about that society? Okay. When there was a reformation by Luther, Martin Luther, in Catholic Church, there was a counter-reformation. And then in, uh, within Catholic world, there was effort to reform the Catholic. And then there was a leading guy was uh, Loyola. He's a Spanish. His name is Ignatius. And then he was a Loyola. But he himself, he was in a battle with a friend. And then a cannonball would break his legs. And then he was put into hospital. But he was a very worthy guy. And then during this time, whole this time of isolation had become a, a reason for his conversion. And then this time alone, and then he went, in, he went to monastery during this time as well, and then completely changed his life. And then he experienced the transformation, and then he was a leading power for the counter-reformation. And then Jesuit is worldwide Catholic mission. I think if you remember the movie Mission, that is a Catholic a Jesuit missionaries. And then around the world, there are primary schools and high schools and universities established by Jesuits. In Korea, it's uh, my university. It's one of the Ivy League. And then uh, I think because they, they were putting effort in education and into mission. But his individual effort to transform the entire Catholic world. So I think that's the power of solitude. That's the power of solitude, because solitude is significant for our spiritual discipline as a foundational value. So these solitudes have impact potentials to transform our lives. I think that's the extreme outcome. Think about Joseph when he was in dungeon in Egypt. You know, he was forced to have this time alone. And then what about Moses? Of course, we talk about Jesus and Paul, but what about John the Baptist? Oh, John the Apostle. John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness, right? It wasn't just living alone as a, you know, the, as a service, whatever. But John, John the Apostle as well, he was sent to Patmos after he was greatly persecuted in Rome. And then in the, in the island of Patmos, he got the vision and then book of Revelation, and then he wrote, the Gospel of John, where there was a, such a harsh persecution. So he could spread up the spirit of the entire church. I think all these people, they went through intentionally or they were forcibly, forcibly, they had to have a solitude. So for me, it seems God put some people in an inevitable solitude period. And then I, you and I, as a church, as a body of Christ, we've been through quite a lockdown that we were locked in or locked out, I don't know. But it was, for me, I think we're living in a king's house. So many times I wonder what kind of season we are in, what's God's presence, what's God's heart behind this. I think, one of, for me, one thing for sure is God is giving us time. 
But significance is then time alone, time alone, which is good, but time alone from whom is important, but with whom is more important. You and I as a Christians, time alone with God. So in that sense, time alone, solitude is a difference different from withdrawal. There's a great examples of the withdrawal guy in the Old Testament time. It's uh, Elijah. You know that uh, Elijah, he fought with a uh, uh, Baal prophets about 450, and then he had a great victory, and then when he heard that Zezbel tried to kill him, he ran away. From north, part of Israel, to the south border, he ran away. But he says the same word, though he withdrew himself. He ran away out of fear. It wasn't time alone with God. And then we see there is a big difference. So I think as a human, as a human we have a tendency to withdraw ourselves. When we withdraw ourselves with God, it's quite safe. It's very positive. When we withdraw ourselves from others and surroundings, even from God, I know, that is quite a dangerous place. So, one question I asked you is, what are the distractions you have? And the second question I'm asking you is, how can you avoid, how can you stop this distraction for you? Because everyone might be different. So, I don't know yourself, so how can you avoid this distraction? If you want to have a solitude, that's the second question. I wish you did think about it. I think we really need to have defocus from whatever is disturbing you, disturbing you, and then we need to focus on the major things. The focus is God. See, we as a Christians, if you have a time alone without God, I would say I would say they might be quite spiritually helpful. Right? Of course, we can examine ourselves and then we can look into ourselves, which is helpful, but with God's perspective. I think that's something that can change us, encourage us, and heal us and restore us. So, yeah, uh, we are living in a, a little bit challenging season, but I think you and I, I think we have this season. The opportunity has been given to us to be with God. And that we walk, we walk out these spiritual disciplines so that we can build our muscles on. Can I pray and then finish? Yeah, God, I want to say thank you because you created the relationship as a trinity God and that you created the relationship with us. And then that is the ultimate foundation. So thank you so much for all the scholars and theologians and religious leaders that they have developed some principles and exercises that we can just kind of uh, strengthen our faith and our inner beings and souls. So we commit ourselves to you, God. I pray that you just speak to every one of us concerning how we can be with you. How can we enjoy the time with you? So I pray for the blessing on me and all the others that uh, we, we help find, find a way to be alone with you and that we enjoy that and that we glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray.